Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you for the next two hours here on Sports at 590, the fan. Big, big, big week for the Toronto Blue Jays. I personally am hoping that that week begins with this rain stopping. Heading down to the game tonight, friend in town from Saskatchewan who's never been before. So we're going as fans, not as media for this one. The sun's supposed to come out in the next little bit. Let's cross our fingers. Jays took two or three against the Rangers on the weekend. Uh, four or three on Friday. Bullpen let it go, but then the bats come back late. Uh, another good Bo Bichette game. Danny Jansen with another game-winning hit. Ross Stripling solid again. They win 11-7 on Saturday. The bats get them up huge early. Gosman has uh, one of his shakier outings. Zach Pop as well. But Bo gets three hits. Espinal gets three hits. Danny Jansen has four hits, including a homer. You put up 11 runs, you're usually going to win. Uh, Sunday was a rough one. The headline item is that it was a bullpen day, and Trevor Richards only got one out. Yusei Kikuchi gives up two over two. I'm inclined to say if your bullpen day, you only give up four runs. Your bullpen day did everything you could hope it did. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. 10 men left on base in that one. You're going to put Sunday not quite on the bullpen day. You're going to put that one on the lineup. There is a, the bullpen day could have a trickle down effect over the course of this Rays series. That's what we'll spend a little bit of today talking about. Not just that trickle down, but we'll be uh, forward looking more than backward looking because the Jays have five games against the Tampa Bay Rays in the next four days uh, to refresh you. They'll play tonight, a one o'clock, seven o'clock doubleheader tomorrow. So not the traditional one. That is uh, with the half an hour gap in between. So we'll uh, we'll actually um, tomorrow do Jays Talk Plus 12 to 1, and then we'll have you for Jays Talk post game, uh, post game one rather. Drive time will come in in their normal slot, and then Blair and Barker will do post game for game two. Um, Wednesday night game, and then Thursday's game's at 3 o'clock. So again, Jays Talk Plus will be a little early around that game. A lot of baseball. And then it's three on the weekend against the Orioles. If the Orioles are still on the periphery of the playoff race at that point, should be an interesting weekend. Uh, first, though, it's five against Tampa. Tampa cooled off on the weekend. The Yankees uh, hammered them a little bit. So the way things stack up heading in this series is that the Jays are six back of the Yankees. The Rays are five and a half back. Yankees only have three games left against those two teams combined. Three against the Jays, zero against Tampa. Barring a collapse in the lighter part of their schedule that has the Pittsburghs and Bostons of the world, the Yankees are probably once again feeling fairly confident in their division lead. The wild card race, however, all bets are off how Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Toronto are going to finish, especially with all the games left between Toronto and Tampa Bay. Right now, the Jays are in that third wild card spot. Seattle and Tampa Bay each a half game ahead. So if the season ended right now, the Jays will get the winner of the AL Central, which you'd probably be fine with. You'd be on the road, but there's a lot of baseball left to play. And you certainly can't risk shooting for the bottom seed. Uh, You risk shooting right out of the playoffs altogether because Baltimore is still only five and a half back. So basically the gap with Baltimore is if you are confident, if you're very confident the Jays are going to make the playoffs, you should be pretty confident the Jays aren't going to win the division since it's the same kind of gap and we're running out of time here. 
the AL Central teams are more or less out of the wild card race. Um, White Sox seven back, Twins nine back, Guardians leading that division by two and a half now. Not a lot to dissect when it comes to the AL Central teams, other than whoever comes in third in this wild card race is going to end up playing one of them. Too much time still to shoot for any one of those spots. If you win four out of five against Tampa Bay here, you probably start looking at, well, you know what? Home field in the first, in that wild card game could be pretty important. We know one of Tampa's um, more high leverage relievers in Brooks Raley is not able to come to Toronto. He's on the restricted list for this series because he remains unvaccinated. He's the only Tampa Bay Ray on the restricted list for this series. I'm not saying that that's an advantage or anything like that. It's just a reality of if you play that series at home. Seattle only came here once and the rotation wasn't completely lined up for their best arm. So maybe a couple mystery names there as well. Um, no moves on the J side yet today. However, Teoscar Hernandez returned yesterday. It was Otto Lopez going back down to the minors. So Gabriel Moreno remains on the roster with Lourdes Guriel Jr. still on the IL. Uh, we don't have a timeline on Lourdes Guriel with that hamstring strain. We got to see Gabriel Moreno at some point, right? He's been on the roster a couple days now. We haven't seen him yet. Um, maybe he gets in the mix in this series, certainly on a doubleheader day with two games tomorrow. The roof is closed at Rogers Center right now. That's not surprising. Maybe it'll open up. The Rays made a boatload of roster moves today. We'll get into those. Um, we're going to talk to Adam Barry of, of MLB.com uh, in a little bit here. We'll get the Rays side of things, see how their very rough weekend might affect how they approach these five games. So we're going to talk to Chris Black, sports that producer in a little bit, but joining us right now, Mr. Versatility, Caleb Joseph. He's on TV for the weekend series against the Rangers. He's on radio for the, uh, this series against the Rays. Caleb, how are you, man? Like a Swiss army knife, just stepping in and trying to do some work here and there on all different types of things. Really enjoying it, especially during this home stretch for the Jays here in September. Exciting baseball ahead. It is. Uh, exciting baseball on the weekend as well. I'm wondering what you thought about yesterday's game because a lot of the discussion that I saw around it was bullpen day, bullpen day, bullpen day. But in my estimation, if you do a bullpen day, and your bullpen only gives up four runs, you kind of expect to be in that game a little more than the Jays were. You think more of that falls on, on the hitter side than the pitcher side from that one? Yeah, I do. I, I thought the bullpen did pretty awesome considering they were covering nine innings, like you just mentioned. And we covered this in the postgame show on Blue Jays Central after the game yesterday. The Rangers had a great combo. They had Martin Perez, who was just dotting pitches up on the outer half, on the inner half. He was hitting corners all day. And you combine that with Jonah Heim, who is second in the league in framing runs above average and a very generous strike zone <laughs> by the home plate umpire, Rob Drake. And you have a guy that goes six innings and does some really good damage. Uh, they they were taking some really good pitches, the Blue Jays hitters were. They were very disciplined and just had nothing to show for it. And I think the clip for me that really summed up the entire game was uh, Bo Bichette's little soft liner to Corey Seager. I think it was the sixth inning, Martin Perez's uh, final out of that game. 
he had gotten two or three calls on the corner called on him in previous at bats. The count was uh, was zero and one. He got a pitch off the plate, called a strike, went from a possible one one count into an o two count, and then he has to chase something off the plate. And remember, Bo Bichette, arguably the second hottest hitter on the planet right now, second to Mike Trout, <laughs> who's hit home runs in six straight games. And you just felt like he was about to do something to really open that game up. And at that point it was three to one. And um, sorry about that. It, no, and you just, you thought he was about to, he, he was about to bust it open. And instead he's got a chase off the plate um, because he can't trust the strike zone. So I think it was a combination of what Martin Perez was able to do in terms of really hitting those corners. Uh, good job by the framer and uh, Blue Jays hitters just trying to be disciplined. They were pretty good the entire series. I think they had, 12 straight games of four or more runs. So it wasn't, you know, for a lack of, you know, them not being able to get the job done. They just ran into a really weird combo of pitcher, catcher, umpire that I don't think any team would have been able to combat the way that was turning out. So you mentioned Jonah Heim is second in the league in, in catcher framing runs. Uh, Jose Trevino of the of the Yankees uh, in first by a, a good margin. You look down and fourth on that list is Alejandro Kirk. When you're a catcher and you're seeing the umpire expand the zone, especially wide like that, where it was, you know, it wasn't bad calls all over. He just had a very wide zone. It was pretty, the, the badness was at least consistent. You knew the constraints of, of the bad calls. Um, as a catcher, can you get a little more aggressive then, or is that too risky given the the kind of inconsistencies when an umpire expands his own like that? I, I know maybe a bullpen day isn't the best example of it, but let's say, you know, tomorrow with Manoa on the mound, it's a particularly low strike zone. Um, can you as a catcher leverage that? Oh, yeah, that's the job, right? Um, in the same way that a pitcher if he sees that the hitter is going to chase and expand on the outer half, just keep throwing it further and further and further away from him until he stops chasing. That was what I tried to do as a catcher was find the point of no return for that umpire. If they kept giving the low and away strike, or maybe the up strike, keep trying to push that envelope to see how far he's going to give you. And now, you know, um, yeah, it's something that I think Kirk is, is good at in terms of stealing strikes and it's knowing those points of no return. Uh, at the same time, though, yesterday would have been a really tough game to do it just because of personnel. So then you're trying to balance, okay, is the zone being called on the outer half? Which pitchers do I have that really focus on the outer half? Is the pitch being called on the lower half or the upper half? Which pitcher is his strengths is that type of quadrant. So trying to figure that out and match those things up is where you can really do some damage. It just so happened that yesterday's game, it was uh, a little bit wide off the corners and that's where Martin Perez likes to live. He lives on the corners. He can't beat guys on the plate with his 90, 91, 85 mile hour changeup. And it was just a perfect combo. Uh, there might've been a guy, uh, maybe Bass, maybe even pop that could have uh, benefited by getting off a little bit and trying to use those corners. But by and large, a lot of the the relievers for the Blue Jays, they like to kind of work more north-south. And uh, so it, it just, you're talking about matchups, trying to find those as a catcher. That's, that is the job description. That is what I tried to do every single time I was behind the plate was figure out how far I could go on either side, up and down, and see where that matched up with uh, each pitcher that was going to be entering the game.
Well, you uh, you graded out pretty well. I, I will say that. You know, I can I can go look up the the Statcast numbers, and uh, in the Statcast era, do you have any? Have you looked before? Do you know? Do you know how oh, graded yeah. you out? That yeah. Was- yeah, that was that was the only thing I was good at. When you hit 220, <laughs> you better be good at framing. So I think there was a uh, about a four or five year run there where I was really good, and then kind of started to tail off. And quite honestly, Blake, it started to tail off when I tried to go to that one knee approach uh, hmm. that a lot of guys are doing. I was really, really good at at just the conventional style, which you saw Jonah Heim doing. Um, he 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 would go to a knee, he would stay up, and just very little glove movement was what I was really good at, and it worked yesterday for Rob Drake. Now, some of the bigger movements work for other umpires, and that's part of being versatile is trying to figure out, is, is this umpire being baited by the big glove snatch or, or is just the little bitty glove movement doing it for him? So being versatile is a big thing too. But yeah, that's, that, was, that was what I took pride in was trying to receive the baseball well and make, uh, make balls appear as strikes. Yeah, the uh, the noisiness or the quietness of it is, uh, I, I think, probably the most frustrating thing from outside when, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I'm one of the reasons I don't like the idea of like robot umps is I, I think it's completely fair to have a skill like framing like that puts extra value on catchers that it's a unique thing to, to the sport. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's cool. But yeah, the really noisy ones that fool an umpire are the ones that, uh, that bother me. Speaking of catcher roles, actually, Caleb, I didn't get a chance to ask you last week. Um, the changes to pitch clock and more importantly, how often a, a pitcher can throw to first and the slightly larger bases, do you think we're going to see more of an emphasis back on catcher's ability to control the running game where, you know, over the, over the last couple of years, it's been a lot more about blocking and framing than it has been uh, your ability to throw down to second. Do you, do you see that coming back around the other way a little bit? I, I do. And I don't, I do. If, if they, the teams start reemphasizing that and putting that as point of emphasis, right? So the reason it went backwards is because there's an argument to be made, uh, whether right or wrong, that, attempted stolen bases are are a waste if you have a guy that could potentially hit a two-run or three-run homer behind the base runner, right? So I I, I think I read something on, on the Twitter uh, a couple of days ago, maybe even today, that it seems like baseball might be moving backwards to move forwards, if that makes any sense. Trying to move the rules backwards to create things that were happening before a lot of the analytical changes to get the game more interesting. So, right, moving the shift backwards not allowing guys to throw over so that there are more runners, hopefully encouraged to run You add in the bigger bases that might help as well. Cutting down possibly two or three inches for a guy having to slide in with the old oven mitt <laughs> on the hand. Um, I, I love it. I think the game is fun when there's action. I love it when there's hit and runs. I love it when there's stolen bases. I think that's when baseball is super fun. I think the pitch clock is going to be a big part of that, but Blake, quite honestly, the guys are chasing the way they're paid. And I think this is a massive point that is so underrated. Guys are chasing the OPS because that's how they're paid. And how is OPS really distinguished? Well, most of it is through the slugging percentage, right? So the guys that are getting on base that steal bases, those guys have kind of been, their value isn't, isn't as good because the slug isn't there. And so instead of the nine hole guy that might uh, move the ball around the field and, and, steal the base he's trying to slug the ball out of the ballpark and so all of those little factors start to play in and guys will chase the way they're paid it's just very obvious so while i love the rule changes and i think they're going to help promote 
some more action in the game. I still think ultimately it's going to come down to how guys are compensated in terms of a real massive widespread shift in the game. I like what, uh, you know, Bubba, can't remember his last <laughs> Bubba name. Thompson, uh, yeah. From, yes, I mean, that that's like kind of a throwback player. It's an exciting player, right? He brings speed. He brings an element to the game that's just noticeable in today's day and age because uh, so many guys are trying to slug the ball, the ballpark. And don't get me wrong, I think the best recipe to win is good starting pitching, uh, really solid defense, and the three-run homer. But there's got to be a time where you have to be able to manufacture runs, and a lot of times that happens with speed and bat-to-ball skills. So long way to answer, but I, I like the way they're headed. I hope it, it is is joined by the way that they compensate the players so that the game can get back to that really super fun and exciting brand of baseball that's uh, a lot of action and not just three true outcomes. Well, here's what I'll, I'll tell you. I'll get to work on uh, an OPS, but instead of just OPS, it'll count like your net stolen bases as a total base. So if you have 20 steals and five caught stealings, that's like having 15 extra total bases on your total. We'll find some sort of way to, to work it in there. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. And then, uh, then we'll have guys with like a three foot long sliding oven mitt to, to try to cheat the numbers even more. Um, Caleb, let's look ahead now. Let's uh, we, we have five games in, in Oh, we just lost Caleb. Uh, we're going to try to call him back. We're going to try to uh, get Caleb back on the line. Uh, what I want to talk to him about and, and what I'm sure uh, you guys have opinions on, especially after this weekend, it feels like every Yusei Kikuchi relief appearance is encouraging for like 14 seconds and then goes away. Um, he has not had success as a reliever. However, the strikeout rate has looked and it's looked pretty good. He has 19 strikeouts in 10 innings. Uh, he's also got a 7.20 ERA. He's also got seven walks in those 10 innings. He's surrendered three home runs. If things were going poorly as a starter, his ERA is about two points higher as a reliever. You saw the cost of that yesterday where it's a bullpen day and he's supposed to be the ball guy. Really? He's supposed to be the starter in that slot. Um, at least a, a couple months ago, you were hoping that and planning that. And then he's the bulk guy out of the bullpen, but he can't really go past two innings because he gets into trouble. And, you know, the Jays seem to be protecting him from a second time through the order as well as he tries to figure this stuff out. You're in a playoff race here. You can maybe get away with keeping him around as, you know, the, the rosters are expanded now. You You play him in a low leverage spot here and there. But we've seen him in some seven-run games where you need to bail him out with a different reliever. We've seen him on a bullpen day where you got to get him out of there quicker than you might hope. At a certain point, they might need to revisit the idea of sending Yusei Kikuchi down to work on some of this stuff at AAA, which, yes, he has to approve based on the language of his contract. But the reports were that he was open to that uh, earlier in the year. Or... You need to revisit that next strain and see if uh, maybe it isn't still strained a little bit. Um, Caleb Joseph is back with us on the line. Caleb, um, with how the bullpen was used yesterday, and again, fairly effective for a bullpen day to only give up four runs over nine innings, uh, but you did need six relievers in total. When you look ahead at this five-game and four-day set against the team you're chasing, if you're John Schneider, do you have to kind of, like, can you even manage this with 
the five game window in mind, or you kind of have to take it game by game and, and deal with the trickle down. If you have to use more or different guys than you'd plan. Like, I guess, are, are you taking a one game at a time approach or are you looking this more as, well, we got to take three out of five here. And we lost Caleb again. Consider- oh, there he is. Sorry, Caleb. No, I, no, we no. got you now. Yes. Considering. So sorry about that. Con- considering how they were used in the last game, I I think you have to go at least game to game for the first game. You've got to get through the first game, see where you're at. Um, When you can get two consecutive starters to go six or seven, now you can start to kind of play the longer game. But they're going to have to find a way to get through today's game. Hopefully, Burrios can go out and really give them some length, and that will really set up for the next four. Uh, But Again, when you're head-to-head and you're, you're able to make up and lose ground in one game and you've got five of them against the team that you're really hunting down, each game is so important, obviously. So I think you go game-to-game game until the game at hand presents you with an opportunity to start thinking ahead. That's how I'd have to go, just considering how they were used in the last game against Texas yesterday. So let's let's play out a scenario where over the course of these first two days um, and three games, you know, the bullpen has to be used a, a fair amount. You know, Barrios doesn't go super deep tonight. And then one leg of the of the doubleheader tomorrow shapes up as a bullpen day slash Mitch White called back up from from AAA for the day day. Do you think there's a point? ahead during this stretch run where the Jays will need to reevaluate what they're doing with Yusei Kikuchi and whether he has a spot on the active roster down the stretch? Uh, it's a great question. My, my, my question is where are you going to put him, right? Yeah. And you're not going to swallow the two years left on the contract. Um, will he possibly accept some sort of assignment to AAA, not sure. When's the AAA season even over? Can you even do that? Like, There's just so many complexities to it. Do they need that arm in the bullpen? Absolutely. I I would just say that in a five-game set, there's probably going to be a position where you will need a guy like Kikuchi. Uh, Hopefully the Jays are winning all five games by 10 runs. (laughs) and there's opportunity to get him in there that's a low-leverage spot. I thought yesterday was was a, kind of a good spot. And to be honest with you, yeah, did, did, did they come back and, and scratch a couple of runs out and make it interesting? Absolutely. Would it have been better if uh, Kikuchi didn't give up the home run? Absolutely. But at that point, uh, you've got to try and, and, and scramble up some innings there. And I think over the course of five games, there's going to be a game or two where you're going to have to have some sort of mop-up guy. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe all five are one-run games. The Jays love playing one-run games, <laughs> so I wouldn't be very uh, surprised to see that. But hopefully there's at least one game in there that is lopsided, hopefully in, in the favor of the Jays, where he can come in and uh, wipe out some innings. So, yes, it presents a huge dilemma because these games matter. They mean something, and there's just not a lot of flexibility with what you can do with a guy that's struggling. Um, even though there are optional pieces down there, the problem is the optional pieces in the Jays' bullpen are pitching better uh, than him right now. So it's a dilemma, and it's it's kind of been the roller coaster ride that has been the Yusei Kikuchi deal for the entire year, trying to figure out how are they going to get through this, hopefully getting to the offseason where they can find a way to make him 
a valuable part of the team that can contribute. So it's going to be interesting. I, I hope that there is a spot, like I said earlier, where they're up seven or eight runs. They can throw him, save somebody else, and uh, and just transition from there. Caleb, uh, doubleheader tomorrow. I know we got tonight's game to get through, but did you enjoy doubleheaders as a player? Um, I liked the day-night doubleheader um, because it, 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 it just kind of felt like there was a lot of separation. I know when you're going back-to-back, um, it, it's, it's hard. And the guy just, just getting three hours uh, of rest or two and a half hours of rest seems to really energize a lot of the guys. It makes for a very long day. Um, I actually liked it better, uh, the seven-inning doubleheaders, um, when we used to play those, I thought those were pretty cool because the the sense of urgency was right out of the gate. Um, amazing what a game shortened by six outs on each side can do uh, to the urgency of the game. But I, I find it unique that there's doubleheaders this late in the season, especially against um, division rivals. I mean, it's uh, it's really hard to sweep a doubleheader. So you. You really, really try to win the first one to give yourself a chance to win the second one. Um, but, yeah, I, I like double hurts because I knew I was going to play at least one of those <laughs> games. So. I was going to say that, but uh, I didn't want to be the one to say it. Uh, Caleb, did we lose you or are you still there? All right. I think we've lost Caleb again. We were about to let him go anyway. Uh, he's got work to do. He's got the, the pregame or not – He's got. He's on the call tonight with Ben Wagner. A seven oh seven first pitch. Uh, Caleb will be on the call with Ben for the entire series. I was going to ask him. The follow up there was going to be, um, you know, was there anything you did as a player that you could carry over into uh, doubleheader tips as a broadcaster? I don't know. I don't know how Ben Wagner does those. I, I did the last doubleheader with Ben, but I wasn't like the color commentator. I was just here in the studio doing pre and between and post games and pitching updates and stuff like that. And that was a, that was a long day. Now I sandwiched it in between a concert the night before and a, and a concert the night after that probably added to the fatigue there. Uh, I don't imagine that Caleb and Ben are doing that for tomorrow, but a marathon day, uh, regardless the Jays being at home is nice, though, because uh, especially the day games, I get to do a couple of the shows this week from down at the park, which is always fun. Not down at the park is Chris Black. He's done as a producing Blue Jays game for the season as he transitions now to other roles at Sportsnet. We're going to talk to him after the break. We're going to see what he's up to, and we're going to see if this is just a long con from him to elbow his way into more Jay's talk plus appearances. Chris black next on Jay's talk plus on sports at five ninety. the fan. Great daily gambling advice from JD Blake and Alish in the fan morning shows. Wake and rake subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's a song requested by the guests. We don't do that often. But when uh, when we have to bump a guest's normal spot around and he's coming to us on an off day, we, we do what Chris Black says. Chris Black, producer at Sportsline. How are you, buddy? That is a throwback. I'm very happy to hear that song. Shout out Derek Brindale. Yeah, absolutely. Derek, uh, yeah, I imagine the most annoying part of working with me 
among the the long list is how uh, meticulous and specific I am about what songs to play and what parts of what songs uh, in which spots. Uh, so you being the one to request, oh, Derek's nodding right now. Uh, you being the one to request it is a, is a nice change. Uh, what's up, man? So you're done on, on Jay's coverage for the year on the television broadcast. So what's up now? Uh, well, just on the game broadcast, so I'll still be doing studio work. Uh, with Jamie and Joe uh, after a bit of time off after that road trip, which was amazing. Um, and then some tennis stuff once we get past the postseason because we still do every postseason game in October as well. So still a busy few weeks. Um, but yeah, that road trip was uh, a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, it seemed like a, a blast. And, you know, the uh, Baltimore rain and stuff aside, it was uh, mostly a successful one for you guys, for the Blue Jays. As we head into this, I guess, stretch run of home games here, and obviously five against Tampa, it's a big, big series, three against Baltimore if they still need to be put out of their kind of wild card chase misery on the weekend. Um, high level, where? what are you feeling about this team? How do you feel about um, the way they've played the last little bit and how they're, you know, we talk all the time about, the margins between teams in baseball can be pretty small. A lot of it's about playing your best baseball at the right time of year. Uh, do you think that you're starting to see what you need to see to be like, okay, yeah, the Jays are heading into the playoffs in a, in a good groove. Uh, I think so. I mean, I think this week will obviously dictate a lot of that, but I think a common theme with the conversations you and I have had this year has been, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about Kikuchi and yeah, we're going to talk about some bullpen arms, but, this season and the confidence level that we're going to have uh, around this team is going to be dictated by how the likes of Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero and Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman are all pitching and hitting. Um, Vladdy, obviously, he's in a rut right now, but, you know, seeing Bo do what he's doing right now, seeing Manoa, like, seemingly rebound from the kind of fading performances we saw a little bit early second half of the year, um, I think you have to be confident. I think you need to like what you're seeing um, because like I said, like those best players will kind of determine their fate, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, you know, the one kind of hot streak that's been missing this year. Everyone's had their their stretches where they they carry the team. And I know Vlad's had the two big hitting, uh, hitting streaks, but nothing that touched his first half of 2021 level. That's kind of been the one hot streak you're still waiting on. Manoa's led you for a while. Gosman's led you for a while. Bo has been... You know, Caleb mentioned it earlier. He's the hottest hitter in baseball other than Mike Trout, who homers every day again now. Um, so you see all that, and that's great. Um, you do have to get there, though, of course. And that's the kind of stuff that, yes, in a playoff series, how their best players perform it is going to dictate everything. For the next couple of weeks, it's uh, as much about getting there uh, and getting there with your arms in good shape and, and everything like that um, as anything else. And you have a five and a half game cushion on the Orioles right now. So maybe you're not sweating it that much this week. A lot could change with, with eight divisional games in seven days. Um, you worry at all though, kind of the, the only negative from that road trip really was you had to lean on the bullpen really heavily yesterday as a byproduct of sending Mitch White down to the minors and having sent Yusei Kikuchi to the bullpen. Um, do you worry about a, a trickle down here into the Rays series from using six relievers for nine innings yesterday? A little bit, but I think really your starting pitchers are going to dictate 
what happens to your bullpen. And that's something that Tabby and Buck and Dan have mentioned a lot over the last week or two, where one of the big reasons why the bullpen's performing well is because the starting pitchers are performing well. And one thing I've really liked, even though it might seem straightforward, I'm not sure every team would do this. I liked how they've used the off days, used the games against lesser competition to kind of maximize the putting their best pitchers against these divisional opponents. Um, it's a little thing, but I, I do think it's kind of, it's a way of tilting, you know, it's a way of playing blackjack by the book to tilt, tilt the numbers to 52, 53% or whatever in your edge. I think they're trying to get every advantage possible and it's a little thing, but it's something I like. And I, I really don't think, yeah, the bullpen's been pushed a bit, but when you look at it on an individual like pitcher basis, I don't think any one of them's really getting burned out. Like Simber's the one guy who gets used a lot, but he's probably the guy who can recover the quickest um, just from a guessing perspective. But <laughs> So I think they're in pretty good shape. Like I, I'm, I'm not too concerned, but like I said, like the starting pitchers are going to dictate how much the bullpen gets taxed over the next week. By the way, uh, as we introed you here and, and as we kind of talked around Boba Shett's hot streak, uh, he was named American League Player of the Week. So congratulations to Bo Bichette. A little surprised that Trout's uh, six home run six home run games in a row didn't carry the day. But Bo one point six eight six OPS this week with five homers Crazy. and thirteen RBI. Uh, we're gonna touch on Bo in just a little bit because there's something interesting in how Tampa Bay attacks him. I want to finish out the pitching thing first, though. Um, Chris, do you, w- would you? anticipate that there are going to be a handful of roster moves if not today then tomorrow to to freshen up the back end of the bullpen i know you can add the 29th guy yesterday or tomorrow rather um but you know there are a couple names zach pop is one who has options and has been used a lot in the last little bit there's always the yusei kikuchi next strain to go back to um would you expect some bullpen freshening in the coming days I think it's a possibility. And again, I not to like not answer, but I do think today will dictate a lot of those moves, um, how much they use if they need to use somebody a lot um, to get through this game. But I mean, the one that's like hanging in the balance, I have people who have told me whenever this name comes out of my mouth asking about him, like, do not talk about Nate Pearson. Like he's <laughs> not going to be, he's not going to be a part of this. But then I don't know. He he winds up in Buffalo and he's throwing 98. Like that's the one that's like intriguing, but I totally understand anyone who says, well, you can't even think about that as an option. But to me, it's more intriguing than a Casey Lawrence. Um, I'm not really sure who else could come up and kind of be a contributor, but uh, Lawrence could give you the length, right? Like, so, I mean, that's, it depends on if you're just looking for someone to help you get through uh, a game tomorrow or whether it's you're looking for an arm that can get out. So um, that's the one I'm going to be watching for the next couple of weeks. Cause we've all been waiting so long and we've all been hearing, watching the Twitter universe kind of uh, the blue Jays Twitter verse kind of break out anytime he pitches in Dunedin or Buffalo. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next little bit. with I, him. Look, we did that with Julian Merriweather for like the whole year and look at him now. Look at him now. His stuff looks decent. It like does. he gets it, but uh, like there are weapons. Like it's the same thing that I was saying with Richards when he was going bad. And obviously Richards didn't have a good opener performance yesterday, but you see the things that could work to get people out and the Richards change up never went away. And Merriweather has weapons. 
I think the fastball gets hit a little bit much for my liking, but you can see how he could get guys out in big situations. So again, just those intriguing names that we've been talking about for so long. Yeah, and you talk about names who could come up. Uh, Nate Pearson has made two rehab appearances um, since his latest setback. He's on the 60-day IL, so you'd have to make some sort of 40-man move. Uh, Taylor Sacedo, same thing on the 60-man or on the 60-day. Uh, he's made five rehab appearances, so you might have to actually make a decision on him soon-ish. Uh, Anthony Kay has just made a couple of rehab appearances, and then yeah, the names that aren't on rehab assignments are not. Uh, sexy ones. They're, you know, Foster Griffin, Trent Thornton, Matt Gage, Thomas Hatch, uh, even Hagen Danner, who uh, Hagen Danner is the one guy that if you need a 40 man spot, he's been out since April. I don't understand why he hasn't been moved to the 60 day IL yet. Um, anyway, the Rays made a boatload of moves today in their bullpen coming off of a, a rough series against the Yankees for them. Those Rays at least the Rays relievers have had a lot of success against the Blue Jays. We don't know with some of the call-ups uh, we've got to, you know, talk to Adam Barry of Rays.com in a little bit here and get the, uh, get the scoop on Cooper Criswell and things like that. But we know that the Rays relievers have had success against the Blue Jays so far this year. They're high leverage guys anyway. And Chris, you've noticed something within the Rays having a lot of success against Bo Bichette. So back in Bo's rookie year, 1.012 OPS against the Rays. In the three years since, 739, 512, 495. Uh, that's the third worst performance for Bo in his career against any team. Um, and the other ones are, are significantly smaller samples. What is it the Rays are doing to neutralize Bo Bichette? A um, couple things. The first thing to kind of keep in mind whenever we're talking about small samples like this is in those first couple years, 2019, the shortened 2020 years, Every hard hit ball that he had, whether it was quality contact or a barrel, fell in for a base hit. He was five for five. So no bad luck, essentially. Um, whereas the last couple of years, he's like five for 10 on those balls, which still sounds good. But when again, when we're talking about small samples, if you barrel up five baseballs and they go for outs, like that's kind of bad luck. So one thing, there's been a bit of bad luck. Um, but the biggest thing with him... Uh, they really they throw both fewer fastballs than any other team in the league. So that's the first thing. Um, they threw, I believe it's it's like under 30%. Yeah, uh, just at 31% fastballs Bo's seen against Tampa. So that's the first thing. When you look at Tampa as a whole, they don't throw a ton of fastballs. That's partly like some guys who throw a lot of cutters, um, uh, like a, a Yarbrough type. But the other big thing is they really don't challenge Bo early in the count. Uh, so I define early in the count as the first two pitches of an at-bat. Um, I think after that, hitters and pitchers are just reacting to what happened in the first two pitches. Um, but just 23% of the early count pitches uh, to Bo have been over the heart of the plate. And the Rays are like an aggressive team when it comes to stuff like this. Like they're top five uh, in terms of pitches over the heart of the plate early in the count to everyone as a whole, but to Bo in particular and also to Vladdy, these guys are staying away, staying away from the middle of the plate and hoping that they can get chase. And even if they're willing to throw pitches in the strike zone, but they're throwing on the edges. So they're hoping Bo and Vladdy are kind of going to get themselves out. So I think a big challenge for, for Bo and Vladdy tonight is going to be laying off stuff that might look good. That might be ball, might be strike to still a strike, but not a good pitch. Um, 
kind of cutters that break in on them, little change-ups that break away, um, or the, with this soft tossing ready tonight, like he's going to throw sliders that are, you know, six inches off or like literally like really close to the heart of the plate. He's going to see if they can nibble in a big moment. This is a big series. They're back at home in front of their fans. These guys, what I think is going to happen is they're going to see if these guys are a little anxious, I think. And so for me, it's, can they stay patient? Can they wait for their pitch and bring these guys into the zone? Now we've talked a lot about, Bo and Vlad and how they've handled those things and their varying levels of um, success against those things uh, over the course of the year. When you look at everything that's gone into Bo Bichette turning it around, um, a lot of that and a lot of what we talked about has been process side and it's been you know, laying off some of those borderline things. You even see in a in a day like yesterday where he's so frustrated because he took four called strikes on the outside edges of the zone, or I think one was on the inside edge. Um, those are good takes, and those are the kind of takes that he has, you know, struggled with a little bit. And then you look, and in the last 30 days, he's got a 91, a, a contact rate in the zone of over 91%. Um, his swinging strike rate is down. His overall strike rate is down. He has, in my estimation, and this I thought this preceded the hot streak, he's had a much better approach at the plate. So when you look at how Tampa Bay has had success against him and you look at what has made Bo Bichette so successful of late, is this, you know, well, obviously it's a good test of what, of the changes Bo's made and if the frustration from yesterday um you know, causes him to to move away from it a little bit at all. Uh, but where is your confidence level in this being a slightly new version of Bo Bichette and his ability to take advantage of, of the way the Rays have attacked him? So we spoke uh, a week ago, and it was early on in this hot streak for Bo. But I think, I think it was the day before, maybe, where I posted a thread on Twitter about his takes, which you just alluded to. That is the thing that makes me confident, like really confident in what he's doing right now is he's seeing ball out of hand really, really well. And you can just see where, for me, it's when a pitch is thrown, you can see how quickly a batter is identifying it's a ball and his his body almost like relaxes um, early as opposed to, you know, firing the swing up and just holding it back at the last second. Um, so Bo's usually been that ladder type in his career where he's really firing it up. He, it doesn't really see, seem like he's seeing it all that well. For this last week or 10 days, whatever you want to call it, he's been unbelievable at seeing the baseball. And one of the things we said last week as well is even the pitches that he's kind of chasing on, they've been like these fastballs at the top of the zone that he can do damage with. So I personally think this strategy isn't going to work for Tampa um, if they keep it up, um, that you know he'll be willing to take pitches – um, if he has to, and I think it'll kind of mean that, you know, guys like Kirk and guys like Teoscar could loom like really large in this series. So you mentioned Teoscar. Teoscar is, uh, is back. Is he going to get that Fred Van Vliet, uh, dad bump? It looked like he got it yesterday. He had a really good game. <laughs> um, and it's worth noting that was Teoscar's third kid, but it was Fred Van, it wasn't Fred Van Vliet's first either. So it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't a like first time dad bump. It's just a new dad bump. Are we going to see that from Teoscar, uh, for an extended stretch here? Teoscar's got good vibes for sure. Like he's, yeah, like he's got good vibes going right now. One of the things that we, um, 
that Dan Shulman and I spoke about, and we were, we had prepped a, a graphic that we just never got to over the last day or two uh, after Teoscar came back, is Teoscar is a really, really good hitter against fastballs, top 20 or 25 in the league in slugging percentage against fastballs, really, really good against off-speed, um, again, top 20 or 25, just not good against breakers. Makes a lot of outs against breakers. Obviously, we've seen it. Chases a, a bit against breakers and also just doesn't do damage against them. So the Rays actually are a team that likes to throw a lot of change-ups, a lot of off-speed, not certain pitchers, I should say, on the Rays. So he, this is another guy who could, the matchup could work well, and he's got pretty good numbers against the Rays uh, this year. So that's a guy who I think, yeah, baby bump, Fred Van Vee bump, mm. but also just the way they try to get guys out, I think it could play well for him too. Cooper Criswell is the Tampa Bay Ray who is getting called up to start in this one. We've only seen him for one and a third innings in his major league career. It was last year for the angels. He got shelled by the Padres. This is a guy who at AAA has an ERA around four working as a swing man. Chris, you mentioned some of the strengths and weaknesses of Teoscar there by different pitch types. Um, and I'm guilty of falling into this as well. Uh, the This idea that kind of junk ballers or guys without elite stuff or, or even just an elite profile have had the Jays number this year. Now I dug in and the Jays are third in weighted on base average against all pitches that come in under 95. You know, you break that down and they're ninth against breaking balls, sixth against off-speed pitches, and then, you know, second against slower fastballs and sixth against harder fastballs. Basically the takeaway there is like, maybe they're a little worse against breaking balls, but for the most part, if you're top 10 against every type of pitch, you're, you're a pretty versatile lineup. Um, what do you make of this idea that the Cooper Criswells of the world have had an easier time against the Jays? I, I know it's something that's um, frustrated you a little bit to, to hear that be a constant narrative uh, in particular on Jays talk plus. I think it's just something like because they have a lot of righties, the way the, those righties are going to get out or the way they're going to strike out more than often is swinging at a slider out of the zone or a breaking ball out of the zone. But like, I hate to say it, but like, look at any other righty hitter in the league. That's going to be how they get out as well. This is so, but if you look at it in terms of a league context, so bring up search righty sliders out of the zone this, this year. The Blue Jays chase the third fewest like at the third lowest rate on the on righty sliders as any other team in the league. It's just like the Dodgers who are the most disciplined team in the league by far, and I can't remember who else. And then the Jays. And this isn't just like righty hitters. I'm not cherry-picking that. I'm talking righties and lefties on each team. The Jays chase the third lowest rate of sliders out of the zone from right-handed pitchers. So this idea that like th this is their kryptonite or the this is the type of guy that's going to shut them down, just not it's not based anywhere in fact. These guys know, yes, they're right-handed heavy, but they know what to do against righties. And if the argument is a good righty will shut them down, a really good righty is going to shut down any lineup. Like if they say, oh, we worry about a Max Scherzer, we worry about a Luis Castillo, that type of guy, that type of guy is going to shut down any, any lineup in baseball if they're on. So the Jays have done well against righties. They've done well against righty breaking balls. I'm not worried about any of that heading into this series. They've also, um, you know, and some of it is the 
primacy effect, right, of a, of a particularly bad game standing out against you. And I think, you know, Johan Oviedo and Chris Bubich, those are the type of games that, that stand out as sure. of, and, and I know Oviedo was only three innings, but um, I went actually through and I, and I pulled the starting pitching logs and I looked at, I compared season ERA versus their ERA in each game against the Jays. And I did the same for strikeout per nine. Um, and yeah, the, the, the data is obviously extremely noisy. Pitchers are inconsistent, um, but of the 16 times the Jays haven't got a run off an opposing starter, only twice did that opposing starter have an ERA over 4.2. So it's not as if they haven't gotten to those guys. And again, you can you can nitpick with that, like a James Caprillion, you know, ha- holding them to just one and things like that. There are examples, um, but there are also lots of examples of them hammering guys like this. So uh, mea culpa on maybe using that talking point uh, a little too often, Chris. For sure. And I just, I, I think, I think there is some credence to if a guy gets on a roll, like this is an argument that I've, I've seen. I know Joe's made this argument before. I do believe that like, if a guy gets into a groove, yeah, like the groove, oh, that's Bodie. That's my dog. Don't mind him. Uh, he's very excited about the blue jays and rays today oh boy um but um so i think the to me i just think like (laughs) all right chris we'll we'll let you go we're just about done with our time here anyway so we'll we'll let you go to to deal with bodie he's very excited yeah (laughs) thanks for taking the time man thanks guys uh bodie bichette and uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. I apologize for anyone who had their volume up uh, during that. Um, man, I think that's the first. We've had cats interrupt. We've had Keith Law's cat interrupt us before. But I believe that's the first dog bark we've had on Jay's Talk Plus. Uh, let's take a break. We'll go back on the other side. We'll talk to, I'd imagine, the dogless Adam Barry because he's here from Tampa Bay. He covers the Rays for MLB.com and their Rays beat writer newsletter. Uh, Let's take a break and then let's see what he thinks of how the Rays are going to handle a situation that honestly on paper is more dire than the one the Jays are dealing with when it comes to starting pitchers in this series and a burnt out bullpen because the Rays uh, had a double dip of getting shelled on the weekend. However, might be some good news coming. Shane McClanahan looks like maybe he's going to start in this series. Could have a, a little ace day at the back end of the series. We'll see. We'll talk to Adam Barry next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy trying to soothe the energy a little bit after Chris Black's dog uh, exploded our ears. Um, we'll be all right. Oh, that's Bodie. That's don't do that. Don't. No, I don't want this to be a drop. I don't want this to be something you can play. I don't like that. Um, no, no more dog barking. Um, let's... Uh, Let's talk to your pal, Adam Barry, MLB.com, Rays beat writer about this series. Uh, Tampa Bay comes in having lost a bit of momentum from that AL East chase. They fall to five and a half back of the Yankees, but they will surely be looking to get it going. Uh, You're never safe when the Rays are in town for five. Joined now by Adam Barry of MLB.com, of Rays.com, of the Tampa Bay Rays beat writer newsletter. Uh, Adam, how are you, man? 
I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, trying to rest up as much as I can. We got five in four days here. It's uh, the new Toronto-Tampa special of always just having maddening, maddeningly long series because of those reschedules. How are you feeling? That's right. These two teams get together for a long time and a good time, apparently. <laughs> um, so bit of a step back on the weekend for the Rays. Um, you know, it looked like an opportunity to maybe take the next big swing at the Yankees in that AL East race. And the gap's still only five and a half. It's doable. But does it feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity for the Rays coming out of that weekend? Oh, for sure. I mean, you go into Yankee Stadium with plenty of momentum uh, the way that they've been playing lately. You know, you think a sweep basically changes the entire tenor of the division race. You know, all of a sudden you have the Yankees back on their heels a little bit. The Rays seem like maybe the aggressor, uh, you know, just with all the momentum they would have built up at that point. But then it wasn't necessarily just that they lost, but how they lost the last two games. You know, a pretty commanding and convincing victory in Wander Franco's return from the injured list on Friday. Another, you know, a great start by Drew Rasmussen and his return from the paternity list. And then just two terrible starts. Uh, where they had to burn through their bullpen and got beat up. And then, you know, you just kind of, you're out of it from the first inning, basically, in games like that. And those are dispiriting. Um, and then you think, you know, what it does to the, the division race, uh, you know, instead of being, you know, in a virtual tie or, you know, one behind the loss column, now they're looking at a five-and-a-half game deficit, which, you know, they're going to say all the right things and say, you know, focus on winning series, you know, win a couple of games, uh, you know, the Yankees lose a couple of games, and all of a sudden it's close again. But, it's the same advantage that the Rays currently have over the Orioles. And I think most people are pretty confident at this point that the wild card teams are going to be the wild card teams uh, come October. So, you know, how really uh, insurmountable is that lead at this point, five and a half games with less than a month to go. It really didn't change things a lot, but you know, they can't take too much time being disappointed about it because this is just as big of a series and could have a huge impact on where, uh, the Rays and the Blue Jays are going to be playing in the wild card series. Not only five and a half back now, and, and the Jays are six back, but the Yankees only have three games left against Toronto, zero against Tampa Bay. So if you're looking at, you know, could the Yankees yep. blow this more? Obviously, they've lost some uh, some pretty winnable games and series over the last couple months, but uh, they're in a position to kind of not only control their own destiny, but control it without without having to beat Tampa and Toronto too much. Um, the Rays focus from here. Let, let's say, again, like you said, they'll say all the right things, but let's say there's an imp- implied acceptance that, well, okay, the division is out of reach. What is the focus from here for the Rays? Are, would they very much value the ability to host three games at the Trop in a wildcard series? Or is this a situation where they maybe look at the AL Central winner and lick their chops at the thought of sliding to the third wild card spot. Yeah, I've actually had some conversations with people about that and you know they say like that's a pretty dangerous game to play oh, yeah. trying to slide your way down to the last spot in. <laughs> you know, you flip too far and all of a sudden you're out of the picture entirely and you've played yourself. So, uh I think their focus is on winning series at this point trying to put themselves in as good a position as possible. And frankly, there is an advantage to playing that home game, that home series, I should say in the wild card series because I mean, the travel would be an issue either way based on the two teams that they're currently uh, up against. If they fall into that five seed, you know, you're either going clear across the country from Boston to Seattle to play, you know, a crowd that is going to be starving for postseason baseball at this point, or you're coming up here uh, where the crowd is especially, you know, raucous in October. It's a great environment, a great atmosphere for the home team, not so much for the visiting team. And they would be without at least one key reliever who's still unvaccinated. So I think their goal, if at all possible, is to, you know, get that home 
uh, wild card series. They've also played great at Tropicana Field this season. They're 47 and 24 right now, which is a huge home field advantage if they could potentially get three games there, no matter the opponent. I, I certainly understand the argument that you know the central winner is going to be the worst team of the bunch, pretty clearly. But you know they were a much better team than the Red Sox when they played them in the ALDS last year, and they still lost that series in four games. So you know it just takes the right team getting hot at the right time. So you really need to give yourself every advantage possible, which for them would be the home series. So Brooks Raley, the the one guy who who's on the restricted list and now coming to Toronto, part of a, a whirlwind of moves for the Rays today as they get ready <laughs> for this uh, this five and four. And you mentioned you know it wasn't just the loss, but it was the how of those losses. Corey Kluber has a career worst start. Um, is there, you know, this is probably overthinking it, but is there a potential small benefit to that or, or it comes around the other way where they could potentially start him Thursday instead of on full rest because he only threw 30 some odd pitches? I think you could maybe see him come back a little bit, but the good news for them is they have Shane McClanahan pretty well lined up to come back Thursday, which is as big of a morale boost as you could probably get at this point of the season. You know, that's your ace. Uh, that's a guy who was on fire, uh, you know, before he went down with the shoulder injury. And you're getting him back after the minimum stint, most likely, you know, assuming his bullpen sessions uh, here in Toronto go well. Uh, that's most likely what you're going to see on on Thursday. Really, all that the last two days did is just kind of screw up their plans heading into a series where you can't really afford to have your plans screwed up. Hence the uh, long, long, long list of roster moves that I'm staring at right now. Because uh, then you have to send Luis Patino down. You had to use Ryan Yarbrough yesterday to clean up that mess. Yarbrough was supposed to pitch today in some sort of role. So instead, they used that you know that roster spot cleared up by Brooks Raley going down the restricted list to bring up Cooper Criswell, who's pitched once in the majors to start you know the opener of a really big series. So it certainly did a number on their pitching plans. But the good news for them is you know if they can get through today, if they can survive the doubleheader tomorrow. They do have Drew Rasmussen, the August Pitcher of the Month of the American League, going Wednesday, followed by, ideally, and hopefully Shane McClanahan on Thursday, which is a pretty good way to potentially end the series, even if the start could be uh, a little bit of a mess. Yeah, and that's what we saw the last time these two teams had one of these longer series. It was all Blue Jays at the start, and then the Rays kind of took over. I, I also love the idea of if McClanahan is back Thursday, we get Stripling, Rasmussen, and Gosman McClanahan, which in a scenario where these two teams are the wildcard teams, maybe a, a little playoff preview there. Um, we'll see Manoa on Tuesday. We don't know in which of those games here. Um, the Rays have Jeffrey Springs listed a, as one of their starters on Tuesday. Is the other spot there going to, for them going to be entirely dependent on how tonight's game goes, where I assume Criswell will go right back down to the minors to open up a spot. Uh, you get the 29th man, but I, I'd imagine that has a lot to do with who they need to use and how much tonight. Yeah, I believe that's the plan. They also have a couple of guys on the taxi squad Mm -hmm. um, heading into this series, and they added a couple of guys at the bottom of this long list of moves, and Josh Fleming and Jimmy Yacobonis, Fleming more of a two- to three-inning lefty, Yacobonis more of a one-inning right-handed specialist type. So, you know, who comes onto the roster tomorrow could be dependent on that. They also have Yanni Chirinos. They kept him on the taxi squad in New York uh, as a guy who made a really inspiring uh, comeback to the majors after – Tommy John surgery and a broken elbow uh, recently here at Tropicana Field and pitched pretty well in three innings. He's kind of a bulk, uh, you know, three to four inning type pitcher. So he could potentially be added as the extra man for that other game. But I think a lot of it really is going to depend on how they get through tonight. Because, you know, if they can survive tonight and only use a couple of guys, they could potentially bullpen their way through it. Uh, the other game tomorrow, that's also dependent on Jeffrey Springs and how DP can go into the game. So 
yeah, I, I think they're playing it by ear, and what they basically did is just brought as many options as possible north of the border to figure it out as it as it unfolds. It's not a not a bad strategy if you can if you can work it out and you can you know the poor Durham Bulls thinned out for a little bit, but uh, what can you do? Um, so let's let's talk about that game tonight, and it is Cooper Criswell. I know that he's fairly new to the organization; you haven't even seen him with the Rays yet. Um, but what is the book on him? I, I know the Rays have kind of used him as a switch wingman at AAA after he was a starter with the Angels. Um, and like you said, we haven't really seen him. One appearance with the Angels last year getting shelled very quickly. Um, not a not a ton of book on him other than he was kind of a, a fringy prospect with a weird arm slot. Yeah, that's basically it. He's a big, tall, righty, lanky righty with kind of a sidearm, three-quarter type arm slot, six foot six. Uh, doesn't throw hard though, so this isn't like Tyler Glass now coming at guys. This is more the comp I would use, and this is highly specific as somebody who's covered the Rays and the Pirates before, would be Aaron Slager's big, tall righty. Throws, you know, 88 to 90 or so at the sinker, tries to get contact down in the zone, changes speeds, uh, change up in slider as well in his arsenal. Uh, when last I checked, you know, it's it's unclear necessarily what the Rays have been working on uh, with him down in Durham. Uh, but he made a couple of good appearances when he joined the organization. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, your eyes are going to, kind of light up a little bit when the Rays take a chance on a guy and claim somebody <laughs> off of waivers because you just assume the way that they do things, that they see something that everybody else doesn't. And then, you know, when he goes out and pitches well on uh, his first couple outings at Durham, you think, all right, you know, they, they have something, even though they had to remove him from their 40-man roster. His last couple of starts or his last couple of outings weren't great. Uh, you know, four innings, four runs, three innings, two runs, four innings, two runs. But that's probably what you're going to see is kind of in that three to four inning range, uh, you know, ideally get him through the lineup one and a half, two times, uh, you know, hope to get the ball on the ground, get quick outs, uh, and, you know, set up the bullpen as well as possible for Kevin Cash to kind of use guys as he wants to, as opposed to the last two days where he used guys as he had to. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, uh, Criswell is, is a good example of, you know, the Rays grab someone and your eyes kind of light up. And it does seem like, you know, in a series like this, off a weekend like that, even in a playoff series where there's a lot of chaos and overmanaging and things like that. Um, it, it's always seemed or seemed during this era that the Rays are better suited to deal with this than anyone. It, it almost feels sometimes like they have a 50-man roster, not a 40-man roster, because there's a, there are always more arms uh, waiting to come up and give you an inning or four or five outs here and there. How do you build that organizationally? Because it's not it's not entirely unique to Tampa Bay, but it's certainly something Toronto has struggled with. I'm curious if there's been a kind of a, a common through line to the Rays ability to maintain that pitching depth. Yeah. So I wrote two really long features about this last season. One is about kind of just their pitching genius, if you will. Um, and the, the funny thing is they'll say it's the exact opposite. They say it's about just keeping it simple. Uh, you know, it's the work that pitching coach Kyle Snyder and Stan Borowski in the bullpen do to bring uh, the best out of the guys that they do get, you know, it's uh, focusing on what they do best and going from there, building off of that, building everything around that. So that's typically the idea is that, you know, the Rays are going to get the best out of the guys they get, no matter what, more because of the coaching uh, aspect of it that takes place. But then the depth part of it, uh, which I covered at the end of last season, because I thought it was pretty appropriate when the Rays clinched the division, they celebrated in their clubhouse and they set up a laptop with the zoom camera on, for the Durham clubhouse and triple a to celebrate <laughs> as well. Cause it was their title as much as it was the Rays, Cause so many guys contributed to that team. And you've seen a lot of that this season, not quite as dramatic, I would say as last year, but there's still been a ton of guys that they've asked to contribute in some way, shape or form. And 
you know, that is drafting well. You've seen some homegrown guys like, you know, your Shane McClanahan's. Uh, you know, that's signing well, uh, you know, in the international market, your Yanni Chirinos is, uh, you know, the guy who just came up last week. Uh, it's savvy trades, <laughs> you know, Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, you know, guys that probably weren't necessarily popular trades at the time uh, that have turned out really well. And then it's, you know, an- their analytics department trying to find value where other people don't see it. And I would point to Jason Adam, who's been arguably their best reliever this season as another prime example of that. He's, you know, he was kind of a journeyman, basically, heading into this spring. You know, the race signed him to a split contract, and one of the appeals that he had was that, hey, this guy could be optioned to the minors if they need him. And of course, he hasn't gone down at all. He's been dominant. <laughs> He's been one of the best relievers in baseball. But the Rays saw, you know, this is a guy with, you know, great metrics on his fastball, great metrics on his off-speed stuff, and his, you know, his slider and his changeup. He's just not using them enough. Let's bring him in, make him feel comfortable, make him confident that his stuff is good enough to get the job done if he, if he just trusts it. And that is essentially the message that they preach to all of their pitchers. Um, you know, get, throw strikes, trust your stuff. And, you know, if, if you get beat once with your best stuff, don't worry about it. Come back and beat them the next time. And that's really just created such a solid foundation of pitching in this organization because then they can develop from there. You take a guy like Shane McClanahan who throws 100 with a crazy breaking ball, and then you tweak the breaking stuff. Then you refine the change up, and all of a sudden he's a four-pitch ace. So, you know, it kind of runs the gamut from waiver claims who fill a role to, you know, potential top prospects who turn into stars. And that's just something that they've done extremely well uh, really throughout the Rays era, but especially here these last couple of years, and they're developing not just top-level pitching, but all the depth underneath it. Uh, Follow-up for you on, on that, and obviously a McClanahan type, even a Rasmussen type, like once those guys click, those guys are starters, and, and you'd like them in that spot. Um, yeah. But part of what makes this team so flexible and so scary for a playoff series is that a lot of these guys have experience in different roles coming out of the bullpen being an opener being a follower um is that something they build through the minor league levels as well like, like if uh, if the next jeffrey springs or drew rasmussen or yanni Torinos is down at triple a are they moving those guys around in roles too to get them familiar with a couple different ways they could help the big league club yeah, there are a handful of prospects who are kind of your priority types who will be on a set schedule to start and they'll, you know, they'll start, they won't follow, they'll, you know, they won't be an opener, they will pitch, you know, to the extent of their pitch count every time they can. Like, it's like your Taj Bradley's, he's their top pitching prospect, he's in AAA right now. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, they do experience, you know, experiment with kind of flexibility. You'll see some. Uh, prospects when they come into the organization will be an A ball and, you know, they'll start in the second inning. You're like, well, this guy's a starter. Why? It's, you know, just to get him used to it. And sometimes it's, you know, as much they want to get the reliever experience in the first inning as well. So maybe that's, you know, a guy you can test out as an opener going forward. But yeah, I think it's funny the way that even Springs kind of came into this role was, you know, he was a reliever last year, a, a starting prospect back in like 2017 in the Rangers organization, but he had that history behind him. So, you know, when they were running out low on arms and they were so beat up early in the season and they used him as an opener and it goes well, or they used him in an extended outing and it goes well. And you say, all right, well, let's, let's add an inning to that. Okay. That works. Let's bump him to the front of the game and have him start build on that. And all of a sudden you've got yourself a good, you know, <laughs> six inning quality starter in Jeffrey Springs. It's, you know, the communication I think is as vital as anything is telling players why they're doing what they're doing, helping them understand how it benefits them. And then guys just kind of take off from there. On the offensive side, these two teams have 
similar. I, I mean, I don't know if the philosophies are similar underlying it, but they've had similar results in that a lot of what drives the offense is having no bad hitters in the lineup. It's one thing to have stars at the top. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a Rosarena and Yandy Diaz are, are hitting like MVPs the last month. In Toronto, you've got kind of Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Bo Bichette at the top of the lineup. But, but for the most part, what stands out to me is you look at the Rays' top 10 players by plate appearances, Taylor Walls is the only one who's had a below-average season at the plate once we adjust for some league factors. You look at the Jays in the top 11 in plate appearances, and Rymel Tapia is the only one below average. Is that a big part of the Rays' strategy, that they'll, if it means sometimes sacrificing at the absolute ceiling to make sure that you have no soft spots in your lineup? Yes, that's huge. And I mean, I think from their perspective, given their market and their payroll and everything, it's not so much that they're sacrificing at the top end, it's that they can't play in the top end quite as often as some <laughs> other teams can. You know, you hope to, to land a Randy Rosarena in the trade. You hope to develop a Wander Franco who, you know, is going to work his way into that that upper echelon as well. And, you know, you hope to trade for a, Harold, a, a Yandy Diaz who turns into the hitter that he's been this season and sign or, you know, acquire a Harold Ramirez under the radar. But the idea is, yes, depth. It's depth and matchups and, uh, you know, flexibility in, in a sense in the way that you can attack pitchers. That's the other thing that stands out about this lineup this season, and I just wrote about in the recent newsletter, is that they have a real diversity of profiles in their lineup. You know, you have the Randy Rosarenas who strike out a lot but can run into some home runs and also has some speed. Yanni Diaz works as tough and at bat as anybody in the majors more walks than strikeouts, which is practically unheard of in this era, but he does it. Harold Ramirez is that way, doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play. You have power, you have plate discipline, uh, and you don't really have any soft spots. And if you do have one, it's like you mentioned, Taylor Walls, who is a premium defensive shortstop, kind of in the mold that they dealt with Kevin Kiermaier offense being what it was, which is roughly below league average slightly for years because he was an elite defensive center fielder. You know, if you're going to give up, uh, you know, essentially an out in the lineup, you have to be getting those outs back on defense. Otherwise, yeah, there are no uh, easy outs necessarily. It is quality one to nine, giving yourself a chance to score essentially in any inning. You're not going to, you know, when they're healthy, I will say I've, hmm. I covered a lot of games this season where they weren't healthy and there were a lot of innings where you could just say, all right, maybe they'll get them in the next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at this point, when they're kind of fully functional, yeah, you're seeing a deep group one through nine uh, that can attack pitchers in different ways. Speaking of the Rays' depth, uh, just came down. The the Red Sox claimed Yu Chang, so Yu Chang's off to his fourth team of the year. Um, little little baby hit to the Rays' depth. Uh, last one for you, Adam. The acquisitions of Jose Siri and David Peralta, um, you know, not entirely uncommon for the Rays to be buyers at the deadline in a lower tier of guy. Uh, how well have those two fit? And, you know, is that in series case, it's probably a no doubt or everything that they had hoped for. Um, how is Peralta fit and how have those two guys changed um, the way this lineup looks, the way this outfield looks? Yeah, I think the important thing with Peralta is he's just kind of a veteran presence. You kind of saw him do it last year with Nelson Cruz. Obviously, Nelson Cruz brought theoretically a lot more power, a lot more profile a lot more presence to him but david peralta is a, a real veteran who's been around he's good he was an immediate fit uh with some of the younger guys you know took on a little bit of a leadership role you can just see got him kind of calm guys down a little bit and his numbers haven't been great he hasn't carried over the power that he had in arizona uh, the last couple of years but he, he's been really effective with you know some timely hits uh, putting the ball in play when he needs to um, and just kind of a general calming presence to the lineup that really needed some help in the outfield when they traded Austin Meadows, Josh Lowe didn't really work out. 
Uh, you know, they had some injuries with Kevin Kiermaier and some other guys. Brett Phillips didn't work out this year. Uh, so he's been like a really calming, positive influence in that regard. And Jose Siri has been dynamic. Uh, he, when they acquired him, we kind of wondered, you know, why did you go get this guy if you already have, you know, a glove first, you know, little bat, uh, you know, center fielder and Brett Phillips who they designated for assignment that day. And Jose Siri has just completely changed my mind on the way that they went about that. He is as good as anybody I've seen in center field uh, as far as covering ground. And then he's really been, uh, you know, a dynamic player at the plate as well. You know, hitting for more average uh, and less power uh, than probably expected coming in. But, man, when he gets on base, he is a holy terror. Like, he can create runs all on his own, essentially, with the speed. And he's another guy who's been a really good uh, fit in the clubhouse, especially. I think he's brought a lot of life and a lot of energy uh, to the group, which is something they kind of needed around that time at the trade deadline. They played really well since then. And I think you kind of have to look at those acquisitions as well as some of the guys they've gotten healthy, Manuel Margot, Harold Ramirez, is a big reason why. I knew it was going to work out well for the Rays because Jose Siri was like my very low end. You know what? If the if the Jays are trying to get an upgrade on that bench center fielder spot, um, you know, and it ends up being Whit Merrifield, the Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, and then the return of Bradley Zimmer after that, and then the Rays get him. I'm like, oh, yeah, this one's going to this one's gonna bite them for sure. Uh, Adam Barry, MLB.com, Rays.com, Rays Beat Writer Newsletter. Thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, find some rest in around this uh, five and four set. Absolutely. Will do. Appreciate you having me on. That was Adam Barry, MLB.com, does the Rays Beat Writer Newsletter. Over there, a lot going on in Tampa in terms of transactions. The big news, though. Jays are wearing red today. All right. See how that goes. Uh, The other big news is that the sun looks like it's trying to come out. I would really like it. As I mentioned off the top, friend in town from Saskatchewan taking him to his first Blue Jays game today. And it would be great if the Dome's open. It would be great anyway but especially if the dome's open. When we take a break, (laughs) when we take a break, when we take a break is like seconds from now. Clearly I I need it. Um, When we come back from the break, we're going to go over tonight's starting lineups. We're going to go a little deeper on the pitching matchup. It's Jose Barrios against Cooper Criswell. I tried to do my homework on Cooper Criswell. That is a funky arm slot. We'll take a look at that. We'll take a look at how the Jays might shape up against a guy they've never played against and we'll see what we might expect from Jose Barrios statistical anomaly his last time out in a season full of them the Jays by the way uh, no Gabriel Moreno in the lineup again he continues to just kind of chill as the third catcher for now I'm a little surprised that they haven't found spots for him given that the talking point when rosters expanded was well you didn't want to call him up because you want him playing every day. And there haven't been the most obvious of spots. That 11-7 game was probably won until it got out of hand, until um, it got back in hand, until Tampa Bay, Texas rather, started making it close. Jeez, I really do need a break. Um, let's take a break. Let's uh, take a look at who is playing in tonight's game as Jose Brios takes on Cooper Criswell, first of five down at Rogers Center between the Jays and Rays. Uh, We'll set that one up next on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. 
The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Top Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You can send some texts in for the last little bit here to 590-590. Then I'm going to kick it over to Ben Ennis for drive time. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph on the call for you at 707 on the Sportsnet Radio Network as the Jays get going against the Tampa Bay Rays. The first of five. Big week. I mentioned it earlier. But if you need a refresher on how the schedule goes this week. So the Jays play at 7.07 tonight. So we're in the three to five slot. Blair and Barker have you post game. Tomorrow is a doubleheader. So we'll be with you 12 to one. And then I'll be with you for a post game one talk as well. Blair and Barker will have post game two Jays talk for you. Wednesday, normal start time, normal Jays talk plus Thursday. It's a 3 p.m. game. So we'll be doing pregame two to three and then Blair and Barker will tag in for postgame. Uh, and then Friday, we're back to normal. You should, you got it figured out by now. Jstock Plus is uh, three to five unless the Jays play in the afternoon and then we're pregame, sometimes postgame. You got it handled. No dog's going to bark in this last segment, by the way. Uh, text to 590-590. How are you feeling coming out of the weekend? How are you feeling about this stretch of games? We talked to Adam Barry before the break about how the Rays stack up for this one and the roster moves the Rays have made. So here's what the Rays have done. Luis Patino and Calvin Fauche option to the minors. Brandon McKay moved to the 60 day IL Brooks Raley placed on the restricted list. Yu Chang gone to the Red Sox via waiver claim in their place. Kevin Hergett, Cooper Criswell, and Javi Guerra are all up. They've also added a handful of guys to their taxi squad in Fleming, Jacobonis, and Chirinos. Chirinos was already on there, um, but Fleming and Jacobonis added to it as well. As we look at what their bullpen looks like coming out of that Yankee series, the big guns are ready to go. Fairbanks, Adam, and Pache uh, are all well-rested. Javi Guerra coming up from the minors, also well-rested. And then Chagua, Beeks, Armstrong, Clevenger, all fine enough to pitch. It's it's really only Yarborough who's got the the red on the sheet after pitching so much yesterday. Um, Hergett threw a couple of innings on Saturday, so maybe they don't use him unless they really need to. Um, and then they've got Fleming, Jacobonis, and Chirinos in the wings on the taxi squad if they make further roster moves. Uh, Fleming, by the way, is probably going to start the second, like the the whichever game tomorrow Jeffrey Springs doesn't start. The Jays have two TBDs. That'll be Alec Manoa in one spot, and then Mitch White or Casey Lawrence or another bullpen day in the other spot. The Rays will go Jeffrey Springs and a TBD. Again, the TBD probably Fleming, but you know the Rays. It doesn't really matter who starts. They're the starter nominally only in a lot of these bullpen-ish games. Uh, Wednesday, we got Ross Stripling against Drew Rasmussen. 
And then Thursday, Kevin Gosman against what's currently a TBD, but that's expected to be the return of Cy Young candidate Shane McClanahan. So you get an ace day on Thursday with Gosman and possibly McClanahan. So those TBDs acknowledged. The Rays aren't in that bad of shape. This is the benefit of having 50 guys on your 40-man roster at a given time. They got a lot of guys they can turn to. Uh, the Jays' bullpen, meanwhile, uh, Romano and Garcia are well-rested. Mesa and Simber, probably fine. Phelps, Merriweather, and Richards, I think in all three of those cases, you'd love not to have to use them tonight. But with Barrios on the mound, who knows? Um, Pop, Kikuchi, Anthony Bass, all probably red to dark yellow in terms of whether or not the, the team would go to them. That makes them, well, not Bass, but Pop, I guess, uh, a candidate to be optioned down if they need bullpen arms heading into tomorrow. As a reminder, Mitch White and Casey Lawrence can't be recalled unless someone hits the I.L. or just for tomorrow as the 29th man for the doubleheader. So um, some options there. Some other options that are in the minors if you're looking ahead to that 29th man or possible reinforcements later in the series. Nate Pearson has made two rehab appearances as he tries to make it back from his latest setback, he's still on the 60-day IL. Taylor Sacedo's made five rehab appearances. He's also on the 60-day IL, working his way back from a, a longer-term injury and some setbacks. Uh, Anthony Kay has made a pair of rehab appearances. And then you get into Foster Griffin, Trent Thornton, Matt Gage, Thomas Hatch. That class of AAA depth. And again, Mitch White or Casey Lawrence could come up on Tuesday as the 29th man, but not both of them unless someone hits the IL. So you don't come into this one super well-rested. You're probably hoping that Jose Barrios can give you some length. That is probably a bit of a question mark. You don't really know what you're getting from Jose Barrios game to game this season. The headline item is, of course, his ERA, which sits at 523. He's still managed to give you 146 innings so far this year. Uh, just so happens he's given up a lot of hits and a, a lot of runs in those innings. But generally speaking, he's been able to get through enough innings to be helpful. Not universally. He's had four starts where he didn't go at least four. The bar's low when it comes to the back end of the Jays rotation. Um, the other thing with Barrios' season, and, and this is a bit of a bit of a lowering of the bar as well, I guess. Um, 15 of his 27 starts have been league average or better in terms of baseball references game score. That's not great. You're paying this guy like a mid to high end rotation guy, not high end, mid th uh, three to uh, two in your rotation salary. So to say, well, 15 of his 27 appearances have been at least average is not very good still. But it is to say more than half the time he's given you a decent chance to win the game. And that's why the Jays have such a ridiculous 20 and seven record with him on the mound. I know that as a baseball society, we're past using pitcher wins and losses uh, to evaluate them. If you weren't Jose Brios being 10 and five this year and the Jays being 20 and seven in games, he starts uh, would be a good argument uh, to that regard. So, that's Brios on the whole. He is coming off of two iffy starts where the results actually weren't 
that bad by the standards of this season. So he had, if you go back to the middle of August, he gave up two, only one earned over six and two thirds at the New York Yankees had nine strikeouts in that one. It's a really encouraging start. Next time out, he gives up two runs on five hits over six against the Red Sox. Again, in Fenway, six K's you're feeling pretty good. Comes home against a much lesser Cubs team and gives up four runs on 10 hits in five and two thirds. That was one where none of those hits really blew you away at the same time. Giving up 10 hits is a lot of contact. Uh, And then he pitched at Baltimore in that doubleheader. Gave up three, two earned over six. It was fine. The bigger concern in that one, that he only struck two batters out. Even more concerning than that is if you get into the pitch specifics. So high level, Brios, 523 ERA, component metrics that say that's about fair. 86th percentile chase rate. So he's still very good at getting guys to swing and stuff outside of the zone. 83rd percentile walk rate, not putting a lot of guys on base for free. And then all of the batted ball and swing and miss stuff is bad. The fastball and sinker continue to be big issues. The fastball has been hammered. The sinker has been hit pretty hard as well. Last start between those two pitches, he got just two called or swinging strikes. What that means is that Every one of those fastballs or sinkers he threw was either a ball or the opposing hitter got contact on it. That is bad. That is, if you thought his fastball and sinker have been rough at some times this year, that was almost three times as low as his next lowest start in his career in terms of called and swinging strikes with the fastball and the sinker. It was really rough. He went away from it the fat, the four seamer entirely by the end of that game. He needs at least one of those pitches. You can't just throw curveballs to righties and lefties and change ups to lefties. You can't just throw curveballs and change ups. He has thrown his curveball 32% of the time. Opponents are hitting 189 against it. A pretty good contact rates, 31.8% swing and miss rate on it. It's his best pitch by far. It remains a very good pitch by the standards of the league in general. And the changeup's been somewhat effective against lefties, but how much of that is the changeup's good and how much of that is, well, the numbers look good compared to the fastball and the sinker because you don't have to throw the fastball and the sinker as much. I'd lean toward the latter. He faced the Rays back on July 1st, gave up two runs on eight hits and two walks in five innings, only three strikeouts. He has 53 plate appearances against the active Rays today in general. Uh, The numbers are fairly good, maybe a little bit of batted ball luck in there, um, but he struck out 23% of the Rays that he's faced. G-Man Choi has hammered him. Harold Ramirez has been pretty good. And then there are a bunch of players with shaky three to six plate appearance samples against him. The Rays are a team that we know will stack lefties or righties as the platoon splits call for. Here's how the Rays are going to line up against Barrios today. Yandy Diaz, Harold Ramirez, G-Man Choi, Randy Rosarena, David Peralta, Manuel Margot, Jonathan Aranda, Francisco Mea, and Taylor Walls. Talked about this with Adam earlier. Of the top 10 Rays in plate appearances, Taylor Walls is the only one who isn't league average or better. 
The Jays can boast that too. Top 11 in plate appearances. Toppy is the only one that isn't league average or better. These teams run pretty deep. The one surprising absence in the Rays lineup, and maybe he's dealing with something, although I did just see him on uh, MLB Network talking earlier, uh, so he's not that bad. Uh, Brandon Lowe, not in the lineup. He's a lefty. Usually hits in the middle of their order. So a little bit surprising to see them stack six lefties or switch hitters in the lineup and leave him on the outside. Maybe he's dealing with something small. But you've got... Oh, there's no Wander Franco either. Interesting. Although Wander Franco is just fresh from the IL and there is a doubleheader tomorrow. So that could be at the root of that. He's another switch hitter that they they could have had in there. That's a little disappointing. I was looking forward to watching Wander Franco. Um, I'm sure we'll get to see him lots during this series. The Rays are going to throw Cooper Criswell. He has one and a third innings in his major league career. It was last year he gave up three runs on six hits as an angel against the Padres. So not great. He's thrown 45 innings this year over three minor league stops. At AAA, this is a 395 ERA as a swingman, which is fine-ish, only seven strikeouts per nine. Not a ton of bat missing here. Here's what makes him interesting and could make him hard to hit the first time you see him. He's six foot six, pretty lanky, and he throws from a weird arm slot. So if you haven't seen this guy before and you're the Blue Jays, especially if you're a right-handed hitter, you've got this odd arm slot with a sinker slider combination. Could be a little uncomfortable, and I doubt the Rays let him go more than once through the order. By the way, uh, former teammate of Dalton Pompey's on the uh, Trash Pandas. If you wanted to remember that the Trash Pandas existed at one point. Um, so he'll go sinker slider change up. To righties, it'll be heavy sinker slider. And again, it's the weird arm slot that potentially makes him effective for weak contact and ground balls. Um, doesn't miss a ton of bats, though. And as we talked about with Chris Black earlier, the whole junk ballers dominate the Jays thing is not, it doesn't really hold up under statistical scrutiny. It's just there are, there's the odd anecdotal game where it feels that way. And let's be honest, it's the Rays. If you are ever going to expect an unknown guy to have success against you, it would be with the Tampa Bay Rays. More interesting than Criswell, because Criswell, even if he's cooking, probably won't stay in the game too, too long, is that this Rays bullpen is very, very good. Even thinned out or, or fatigued, they're a very good bullpen. And Pache, Chargois, Beeks, Adam, and Fairbanks all have good to incredible numbers against the Blue Jays, not just this season, but in their careers in some cases. So how are the Jays going to try to solve Cooper Criswell and the rest of the Rays' bullpen? They'll line up like this. By the way, they're not shying away from the uh, righty-righty potential for, for Criswell's weird arm slot and sinker slider combo. They're going with seven righties in the lineup, as usual. George Springer will lead off. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Alejandro Kirk at DH, Teoscar Hernandez back in right field, Matt Chapman, Kevin Biggio at second, Danny Jansen catches Jose Barrios, and Rymel Tapia rounds it out in left field. Uh, so a reminder, Lourdes Gurriel is still on the IL, uh, Otto Lopez is back to the minors. Gabriel Moreno still hanging around as a third catcher on the bench. So your bench today is Jackie Bradley Jr., Bradley Zimmer, Gabriel Moreno, Santiago Espinal, and Whit Merrifield. 
the Rays will do a lot of the, I mean, they're capable of doing a lot of platoon stuff with their bullpen. They have four lefties back there. The Jays aren't really a team you need to worry about. If you're if you're bringing in, yeah, maybe you bring a lefty in for the Biggio Jansen Tapia part and and bait the Jays into making some pinch hits, and you risk the Jansen against the lefty. But the Jays don't have the the type of marquee lefties that that make you worry. The other side of it is much more interesting where the Jays will start Barrios against a lefty heavy lineup uh, and the Rays with a couple of assuming Wander Franco and Brandon Lowe are available off the bench and aren't dealing with injuries. They're just managing their workloads coming off a full series and and with so many games this week. That's a a couple of interesting pinch hit options and the righty lefty switch hitter balance to make John Schneider's life difficult. Not that he has plethora of options in the bullpen anyway because again this has been a pretty heavily used bullpen the last three days jordan romano jimmy garcia good to go didn't pitch saturday or sunday anthony bass pitched the last two days tim mays is available but he's struggled he is i i realize the overall numbers are still good 288 era um you know 3.8 ish strikeout the walk ratio and a good ground ball rate. He's getting a little homer prone. It's uh it's worrisome. I mean, it's it's six home runs in 40 innings. It's not anything crazy, but more than a quarter of the fly balls he's allowed have left the park. So really, really relying on that ground ball rate, especially with the swinging strike rate having dropped off dramatically. Behind Mesa, you've got Phelps, who pitched yesterday, but is probably available in a pinch. Uh, Simber, who was off yesterday, pitched the two days prior. Julian Merriweather gave you two very efficient innings yesterday, so maybe you could use him again today. Uh, Zach Pop has pitched each of the last two days. Doubt he's available. And then Richards and Kikuchi. Richards, who would be behind Mesa, Schneider's next choice uh, for getting through a tough lefty, heavy part of the order, given his splits and, and the effectiveness of his changeup. Threw 26 pitches yesterday and uh, didn't get out of that first inning. I don't know if they'd want to run him back out there right away. You say Kikuchi, probably not available with 43 pitches thrown yesterday. Your bullpen, you can't really complain about the state of your bullpen when your two best guys are available. But if Jose Brios doesn't give you length, things could get dicey for tomorrow's doubleheader pretty quickly. Again, tomorrow's doubleheader, we know Alec Manoa will start one of them. We know Jeffrey Springs will start one of them. Each team with a TBD on their own side. Uh, On the Jays' side, we're assuming probably a Mitch White or Casey Lawrence activation to head up a pseudo-bullpen day. And on the Rays' side, possibly Fleming. Um, The other thing is, of course, you got to allow for a lot of roster moves over the course of the series, over the course of this week. Everything is static until it's not. And even if it means, you know, it's hard this time of year because if you send a guy down, you know, he's down for 15 days unless there's a a doubleheader or an IL stint. So, you know, do you want to lose Zach Pop for, for two weeks again? If you really like what he's bringing to the bullpen, you might have to if it means getting a fresh arm up to beat the Rays in one of these games. couple quick texts before we go. Uh, Matt in Toronto asked if, uh, 
if my friend from Saskatchewan is his cousin. I, I don't think so. Um, sorry about that. Someone asked if you could just DFA Kikuchi and be done with it. Uh, that was Colin in Calgary. Um, I answered him on the text line, but if you were curious as well, no, you're on the hook for the money then unless someone claims him, which just isn't going to happen. This late in the year with two years left on that deal, you're better off just getting to the finish line and hoping something can resolve itself in the off season. The, the benefit of DFAing him now versus at the start of next year, if, if things still aren't figured out is minimal. So you got to ride it out and see if he can figure something out. Colin and Barry asks, uh, what is a successful record for the Jays? These next eight games, I would say, honestly, they're not created equal. Obviously, you know, you want to go five and three over an eight game stretch at home pretty much no matter what. Um, but if you went four and one against the Rays and one and two against the Orioles, that might feel differently than two and three against the Rays and then sweeping the Orioles, just given where the races are. Um, and honestly, you could have a preference within that of, is it more important to you right now that they play the Rays well, give you that confidence heading into the playoffs and maybe keep open the possibility of getting home field in the wildcard series? Or would those Orioles games be just as big to you because it means putting the Orioles completely out of reach and more or less clinching your playoff spot. So uh, that's not to give you a non-answer there, Colin, but it is a non-answer. It's a obviously more wins are better. I'd say five and three is kind of the bar for any eight game stretch at home. And then whether you care about who and when the, the wins come is a personal preference thing. Jay and Wasaga is... <laughs> saying that Barrios is the tone setter. He'll know how he feels about this series by the third inning tonight. Maybe. Uh, Dave in Thunder Bay wants more dogs on the show. I make no promises. I cannot. Don't do it, Derek. Don't do it. I thought he was going to hit the dog button, which we now uh, which we now have. Um, Chris in Etobicoke. <laughs> there you go, Dave in Thunder Bay. Um, Chris in Etobicoke asks, uh, Last time out, uh, Yusei Kikuchi. Last time Yusei Kikuchi started against the Rays, uh, he struck out eight at home. Why not give him another shot? Um, part of it is he pitched. He threw a lot of pitches yesterday. Um, I don't know if that they'd want to start him again tomorrow. They also have been pretty clear in their actions that they just don't really want to start Yusei Kikuchi at this point. Um, maybe you could come up with some sort of piggyback scenario. Um, yeah, he's actually had. Decent success against the the Rays. He gave up two over four with five strikeouts and gave up one over six with eight strikeouts. Um, I don't think there's anything particular in the Rays specifics that would say, oh yeah, they're they're a great landing spot for Kikuchi. It's probably just a matter of the Rays caught him in, in the few windows where Kikuchi was pitching okay this season. Um, maybe there's something there, though, with the way the Rays uh, profile against lefties. They are an above-average offense against lefties, though, and they strike a, a below-average rate. So on the whole, there's not something there. This is a Rays team that is obviously good. You obviously have to respect a team that's half a game ahead of you in the standings that always seems to find a way. However, this Rays offense is a chunk of spots in the rankings worse than the Blue Jays. And they're starting Cooper Criswell tonight. You got to take this a game at a time. You're basically in permanent triage mode for this week with eight games over seven days, all against important opponents. You would hope if you're the Blue Jays, what you can do tonight is get a little length from Jose Barrios and get the Cooper Criswell early enough that the Rays are scrambling for more call-up arms 
for the doubleheader tomorrow. We'll be back with you at noon tomorrow to tee up game one of that doubleheader. Uh, drive time's next. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph with the call at 707. Blair and Barker postgame on Sports at 590 The Fan.